This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Fearscape Media Network. Exploring the unknown, one podcast at a time. Hey guys, Stefan here. This holiday season, I'm giving thanks to our friends at Manscaped. I cannot wait to tell my extended family that I have the Performance Package 4.0 from the global leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Not to mention, it includes their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer to tame my bush and score brownie points with the in-laws, leaving my balls as smooth as turkey legs. <laughs> That's right. So gift yourself Manscaped or a male family member in your life who needs it. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with 20% off plus free shipping with the code FEARSCAPE by going to manscaped.com. Now, you think your holiday spread is good? Well, it's time to give thanks to the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, or as I like to call it, the perfect package for your package. See, inside you're going to find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies. Just think of it as a cornucopia for your balls, making them as smooth as turkey legs. <laughs> and for the gifters out there, gifting Manscaped is the ultimate hack to become the family favorite. And let me tell you, Manscaped has been busy, and they just launched their refined body wash and two-in-one shampoo plus conditioner. Both of these feature the Manscaped signature scent and will help you unlock your confidence this year. Your boys and body will be oh so fresh and oh so clean when you start off your self-care routine with the ultimate body wash, shampoo, and conditioner. And let me tell you, I just used these this weekend. My wife could not keep her hands off of me. So, like I said, get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FEARSCAPE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FEARSCAPE at manscaped.com, M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. Now be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all from Manscaped. Your balls will thank you for keeping them as smooth as turkey legs. Thank you for tuning in to Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. We are on a journey to understand and to discover the phenomena that seems to exist all around the globe. We invite you to join us on this journey into the unknown. Stefan here. 
We're doing something a bit different this week. It's why you only hear my voice. Josh? He's off exploring the woods for some high strangeness, leaving me the task of providing you with some paranormal auditory goodness. Now, I often get asked, what is my favorite listener story from our Encounters from the Fearscape segment? While I have many, the one that always strikes a chord of remembrance for me is one we received many moons ago during the early days of Fearscape while we were doing our Fearscape FM radio show. We received a long email from a listener named Randy, who lives in eastern Kentucky in the Appalachian Mountains. He sent us a true encounter of his that still rocks me to my core to this very day. It involves Appalachian lore, Sasquatch, and even some ghosts, or haints as the locals call them, all wrapped up into one incredibly terrifying story. So now, it is my honor to present to you my favorite encounter from the Fearscape. Encounters from the Fearscape. The story begins in the headwaters of the Rock Castle Fork of the Tug River dividing Kentucky and West Virginia in Martin County, Kentucky. The Rock Castle has several main forks in the stream, but the setting of these incidents occurs in the uppermost headwaters of this fork of the Rock Castle Fork in the Coldwater Fork. The specific area is located in its uppermost reaches in the Lindbark Fork of Old Road Fork. The junction of Old Road Fork and Lindbark Fork was an official post office bearing the name of the local family that lived in the area. For anonymity, the name of the post office will not be mentioned as it was named for the local families that are my direct ancestors, and some people would be embarrassed and possibly harassed concerning these incidents. This post office was located in a mercantile store along with a few houses around the post office. Now, in this day and age, one has to look hard to see signs of human life in the form of picket fences, barbed wire fence lines, and an occasional old rotted house foundation. It existed in the 1800s and was moved downstream as the families moved downstream in the early years of the turn of century in the 1900s. It's a really rough and remote area. Now, this is a lot of information for several paranormal events, except to say that nothing has been in that area for many, many years, except for when we went hunting prior to mining the many seams of coal in the area in the 1980s. Prior to then, a good four-wheel drive truck or SUVs, before they became known as such, could take you near to the watershed between Coldwater and Wolf Creek. Now, the many different types of recreation vehicles known as four-wheelers and side-by-sides can still access these areas from different directions. It was on one of those hunting trips to an area where we always camped out on the evening of the first day of squirrel season, where there were many for hunting and ultimately eating them. We always knew the area as the mouth of Bridge Hollow, and it was a large sandy area formed by a loop in a small cold water stream. I always dreaded going there, as there was a picket fence that was still standing, where my dad would always tell me about the grisly event that occurred there. According to the legend, back in the 1800s, a man lost his good coon dog and was told it was on the farm of a local neighbor near him in Lindbark Fork. 
The man who lost his coon dog went to the place to inquire about the dog, and the owner came to his fence and was talking to the guy while standing there at his fence. An argument ensued between them and the man who lost his dog. Well, he lost his temper. One commonality in the men of those days was the lengths of their beards, which reached way down on their abdomen. Think of Phil of the modern-day Duck Dynasty and his long beard. Well, the man who lost his dog pulled out his bowie knife in one hand, and with the other grabbed the homeowner's beard, pulled his neck out over the fence, and sliced his head off, leaving it sitting on one of the pickets in the fence. Dad always said that on the day that that occurred each year, blood could be seen on the fence. Now, I don't know if that was factual or if he was trying to scare me, but it always shivered me when I saw that still standing fence, either going or coming through the area. It was always dark in that area as it lied between two mountains and was located near the creek in the bottom of that particular topography. I have to say that whenever I found myself in Lindbark, I always had a foreboding feeling like the air was heavier or that something was just off. It was not a pleasant feeling one of dread, and you didn't have to be near the fence to feel it. Even when I was a young teenager and rode a nice dirt bike, I stayed out of Lindbark and chose to ride Old Road Fork and the many local gas company roads that were built there for just great off-road riding. One Friday evening, in the late fall when all the leaves were off the trees, Dad informed me that we were going to the mouth of Bridge Hollow to hunt squirrels early the next morning. In the head of Bridge Hollow was a very low gap, and two little finger ridges coming down the mountain, and we were going to meet some of his friends from the mines where he worked, whom I also knew and liked. They were going to come in from the Wolf Creek Divide of the watershed, and we were all going to hunt and meet in that gap from the cold water side. I agreed to go with him, though somewhat reluctantly because I had planned to sleep in a little on Saturday morning before I tackled some ongoing chores of clearing sumac bushes on the hillside around our house. Now, he and I were the only two going in his recently new 4x4 Chevrolet Blazer, which was capable of making that trek through the creeks and the occasional muddy road that came up out of the creek to miss deeper holes of water and slick rocks in the creek. The gas company maintained those so-called roads that we used to reach the uppermost portions of the stream where plenty of squirrels were always found. We got to the old camping area a little after daylight had hit, but it was still not quite light as we were in the bottoms of the tall mountains and it would be hours before we could see the sun overhead. As soon as I got out of the blazer, I felt something. Again, like dread. This time, though, it was stronger. Dad told me that he was going to hunt right-hand finger ridge heading to the gap in the mountain ridge, and, well, I'd take the left-hand finger ridge, and we would meet each other and our friends in the gap. I steeled myself for something I really wasn't crazy about, but it made my dad happy to have me hunting with him, and I would do it to make him feel good about his only son. I dreaded it as I opened the truck door and got my 12-gauge shotgun out to head up my assigned haunting area, but something kept bugging me. Actually, one of the things I noticed was I had a definite feeling that I was being watched. I kept my head on a swivel around the truck with Dad, and I was a little spooked, a feeling I normally didn't have while I was out roaming in the woods. We broke up with me being reluctant, and well, I went to a place directly in front of the truck where I could cross the creek without getting too wet, while Dad had to go up on the creek to cross it to begin his hunt on the other ridge. 
I tossed aside my feelings, knowing Dad had sent me to the tallest strands of hickory trees and I was into the hunting, but I had to make some elevation up after the ridge I crossed in Coldwater Creek to reach these large groves of trees where I thought I'd most likely find squirrels. The creek was, at the time, about 8 to 10 feet wide and about 6 to 8 inches deep, which was a good trickle since we were so far up in the creek. I got about 50 feet of vertical elevation behind me and my wind began to run out. See, the secret to hunting squirrels was, one, be quiet walking, and two, listen for the cutting droppings from the squirrels hulling into the huge hickory nuts and to their barking to each other that they had found food. I was following an old logging road up the hill that was only passable by walking and the road was made by a small bulldozer pulling logs down the hill a long time ago. I was on the inside portion of the road as I was climbing and took my first stop to rest, to catch my breath, and to listen for squirrel activity. With a start, I noticed the second thing that was bothering me. As I listened, all I could hear was my heart hammering from the short climb. There were no usual sounds of chipmunks running through the leaves squeaking for each other. No songbirds, no raptor birds hunting, and no wind in the trees. Nothing. As my heart normalized, I heard it. Complete and deafening silence in the forest with me, and I had been in the forest of cold water since I could barely keep up with Dad, and this new sound never happens. The sound of complete and total silence. Now I was spooked as I strained my ears to hear anything but to no avail. I stood there for a few minutes when I heard my first sound and it chilled me to my bone. I heard a splash in the creek downstream from where I had crossed, and at first, and it was barely audible when I first heard it. It continually splashed as if something large was running with large, broad, bipedal strides up the creek toward me. I knew it wasn't Dad because he went up the creek, and this was advancing up the creek well below our vehicle. I could not see the creek where I crossed, so I sought out a new sight line towards the stream. I knew that if I moved over to where I crossed, on the other side of the logging road, that I could almost see the creek. And so I did, and I wanted to see what kind of animal this was. And even though every hair on me was standing upright, I knew what I needed to do. I began a mental checklist of what normal things it could be. Was it a deer running up the creek? No. I ruled out a deer as it is four-legged and the splashing would have been a lot different. Could it have been a bear? No, again, four-legged, and the rhythm would be different. It had to be bipedal because the sound was like splash, splash, splash. And a normal man's would be like splash, splash, splash. By the time this thing was nearing, I moved over to the opposite side of the little road and climbed up on a mound of dirt the bulldozer had left behind to see as much of the creek as I could. As the sounds of the splashing got louder, I began to shake and was frightened out of my wits of the unknown. I tried to calm myself. After all, I was armed with a large shotgun with a legal amount of three shells in the gun. Whatever it was, it was now loud, and it was at the crossing where I had crossed, and it kept going upstream. Suddenly, I saw movement in an area about 20 feet upstream. All I could do was see, like what looked like a head of long brown hair, and this creature continually ran up the creek to where my dad had been moments earlier. It's not hard to remember what I saw because it's been seared into my head forever. 
It was a head that was brownish in color, darkening toward the top and unlike anything I had seen before. I recalled that it, it didn't look like a person's head because it was sort of flat and conical. All I could see was the back of its skull and it never turned towards me, but it kept going. The splashing soon faded off in the distance just like it had come into the quietness. Forget about squirrels and meeting friends in the gap. I decided I did not want to run into whatever this thing was, and I began to creep back to the relative safety of the blazer. This hunt was over for me. As I eased back down the creek, I dreaded looking toward where it had gone. But I made myself do it. And I can see why I didn't see all of it. You see, over the eons, the little stream had cut back into softer rock and eroded, making a hook in the creek and depositing sediments in the area where we set up our tents when we were camping in the area. The erosion had eaten into the softer rock near the stream, and it left a ledge of harder stone overhanging about half the creek. I momentarily gauged the height that was now only about 15 or 20 feet away from me, and it... The thing had to be probably seven to eight feet in height from the creek up. That meant it had to be probably eight or nine feet high for me to have seen it. That rocked my young world and I dashed towards the blazer. I quietly opened the passenger door and closed it as quiet as possible, not wanting this thing to hear me. And I locked both doors and climbed into the large back seat where I thought I could make a better stand against it if it ever came back. I was shivering uncontrollably, and it wasn't because of the lack of heat. I was too afraid to start the engine thinking that it would hear it, and it would come back to investigate, and I did not want that to happen. My trusty 12-gauge was still loaded. Hunters never had a loaded shotgun in their vehicle, and I was aware of this cardinal sin. But I had it loaded in case I had to back up to the opposite side of the bench seat and fire through the window at this creature. Yes creature was what it was because I had never seen anything that big in the woods that had to have walked upright, and I had never heard any stories about it. I stayed there for what seemed like the whole morning, when actually about two and a half hours later, Dad popped out of the brush where I had entered earlier that morning. He had gotten to the gap and didn't run into his friends, but of course, I wasn't there. He was a little worried and came down to the left flank on the course that I was supposed to be taking up the hill and made it back to the truck and then saw me in the back seat with my shotgun in my lap quivering. It was chilly and his hands were cold. The door levers were horizontal latches and he just assumed I had gotten tired, lazy, or just lost. And we left the truck unlocked as no one was around. He tried to open the door. The handle just snapped back because it was locked and it caught his cold fingers and he let out a little yelp of pain. Unlock this door, son. What do you have the doors locked for? I reached up and unlocked his door and he opened it. And he looked at me in the back seat with a large shotgun and he had an expression of being a little aggravated because my action had stung his fingers pretty good. He looked between the driver's seat and the door into the back where I was and he said, What's wrong with you? You look white as a sheet. Now, I didn't want my father to think that I was crazy. I just wanted out of there, so I just mumbled. Nothing. He asked, Why didn't you come up to the gap? There were squirrels everywhere. I even got my limit. I mumbled again. I just didn't make it. Dad kept staring at me the whole time, and his face sort of softened from his original scowl. He asked, 
What happened? Knowing that ordinarily I would have climbed up there looking for squirrels and ultimately him. Mumbling again, I said, nothing. And he just kept staring at me. Then a look came over his face again, and he looked away, and it seemed like he was searching Ram in his memory banks as he was thinking about what had happened. He turned his gaze back to me, and it softened some more, and he said, You saw something, didn't you? I mumbled a non-committal grunt, and he continued to hold me in his stare. After a few seconds, he said, Well, son, it's gone now. Now let's go home. Also, is that gun loaded? I nodded my head affirmatively, and he told me to unload it before I shot one of us. So I unloaded it, stuck it back in its storage bag, and turned around in the seat and put it in the back. I was not about to step out of that truck to unload it and go to the back and open up the glass and lay it in. No, no. I wanted no part in being outside at the time. He got in and I climbed up into the front seat and we left. From the way he looked at me and looked off like he was searching his memory, I still believe to this day that he had run across something similar in his time in those woods, but long ago. He never spoke of it again to me on the way home or ever. From that time on, I still went into the woods behind our home for a walk to clear my head or out of curiosity. There were a couple of times after that that I would instantly notice that the forest suddenly got quiet and still. As soon as that would happen, I would set off for home in overdrive because I did not want another encounter of that type again. But the story does not end here. Later, after all of my cousin's parents and mine had passed away, all 68 first cousins were really close, and someone decided that we needed to have a primitive camping trip back in the area in Lindbark where the family had originally settled that had a good camping place near the old community where they lived, and we'd have a primitive homecoming camping in the woods. Being with each other in the woods we all loved was great. This was around 2015 for the first get-together and my back had bad problems that surgery just could not repair. I had good days and had bad days, mostly bad days, as I was in constant pain. I saw all the pictures they had and the fun they were having and promised myself I'd go if I could have some good days with my back. I had heard some murmurings of strange things going on during these camping trips, and with my memory of what had happened to me, I learned about Bigfoot and Sasquatch and decided I was going to face my fears while in my late 50s. One of my cousins had a full-time, powerful, but comfortable Polaris Razor off-roader that they all thought I could ride in, and my female cousin that owned it told me she would bring me and my equipment to the camping site. I was so excited. We set off in September on a Friday evening around 4.30 p.m. It got dark around 7 p.m., so I wanted to be there before dark. Everyone was glad to pitch in and load the razor with mine and my cousin's sister stuff, who rode in one of the two back seats, and away we went. I was reveling in the fact that I was finally in my beloved mountains, where I had spent a lot of time in my youth. I was looking outside the window beside the driver, just taking it all in. Just as we passed up Old Road Fork and started up Lindbark, I yelled at my cousin to stop. I saw something that, after watching many shows on TV and reading lots of books about Bigfoot and Sasquatch, made my blood turn cold. After she stopped, I asked her to back up a little way and then stop again. 
I showed both of them a tree on the side of the road that was about 8 to 10 inches in diameter, snapped completely off and splintered about 10 feet in the air. The way it looked was like a twig that was snapped off, but it was that high in the air. From what I learned, it was that Bigfoot would snap a large tree off as a boundary marker. Then my two cousins wanted to know what I was looking at, and I pointed it out to them. They were amazed, for they realized it had been snapped off way up off the ground. Something with amazing strength had snapped it like a twig. One asked me what did that, and I showed them no other trees in the immediate area that were like that or even blown over. One of them asked, what does it mean? And I was hesitant to tell them in fear of frightening them. But I said, from what I've read and seen on TV, it could be a boundary marker for a Bigfoot. The one in the back seat said, you're right, I've seen stuff like this on TV. I told them it was probably nothing. And off we set for about 10 minutes of riding in silence until we reached camp where there were several others. We set about setting up my tent. My cousins wouldn't hear of me even doing it. They knew, of course, about my back, and so they did it for me. The last thing that went in my tent was my old shotgun. Yes, the one I had had with me on my first encounter. But this time, instead of small shot for squirrels, I had unplugged the barrel and had it fully loaded with five rounds of double-odd buckshot powerful stuff for self-protection. We all sat around the fire, talking and catching up, for I hadn't seen many of them for years, pretty much just at funerals. We were all laughing and having a good time until the clock struck 6.30pm, about a quarter hour before darkness set in. All of a sudden, we hear a huge snap! and a tree fall not far from us on the southern flank of the mountain immediately to our west. Now the thing was, this was no ordinary tree falling when you heard the thud of it hitting the ground, and then hearing a second following thud as it settled to the ground. No, this one sounded like it was thrown backwards down the mountain, and then the momentum of it carried it way down the hill. Several of my cousins screamed and said that there must be a bear in the area. I never saw so many firearms appear so quickly in a couple of heartbeats, including handguns from even my female cousins. I knew we had to have a substantial tree thrown at us just out of our sight to frighten us away. We talked about it for a few minutes and decided to go back to our normal ways. But I filed this one away as another encounter with a Bigfoot. I slept with my shotgun where I could grab it in a quick instance. At about 4 o'clock in the morning, I awoke with a full bladder. With trepidation, I got my brightest headlight on and quietly unzipped my tent door so I could get rid of a couple Pepsis I had ingested that evening. We actually had a potty tent set up outside of camp for girls, and uh, I didn't see any light in it, but I was afraid to let fly right outside of camp, so I steeled myself away and walked down to the water to urinate. While this was going on, I felt that feeling again, that I was being watched shined my big headlamps around and saw no eye shine or anything. But I didn't shine it into the woods on the hillside directly beside me. I felt like something was there. I got up the nerve to do so, and then the next thing I remember was waking up a little before 7am in my tent and looking up and seeing a little bit of light coming in through the tent. I didn't remember zipping up my pants, walking back to the tent, getting in, or anything else since I was last peeing in the creek and looking up on top to that mountainside. Somehow I had lost about two and a half hours of time. 
In the tent, I found my light off of my head, and it was still on. It was shining straight down in the tent. Now, I know I would have turned it off to save the special batteries it used. I didn't say anything to anyone because they would have had a hard time believing me. But I had a bad headache that continued to worsen. You see, our plan was to leave everything and go back to civilization to have a potluck lunch with some of our other cousins that couldn't make it up to the camp due to physical ailments or age. When I go back to my sister's house where I had parked my car, I all of a sudden had a full-blown migraine. I laid out on one of her recliners and took my medication to alleviate a migraine and put a towel over my head to block out the light. I told my cousins I was going back to Lexington and they offered to get my tent and anything else I had left. After a couple of hours, I headed down the mountain parkway trying to recall those two and a half hours last night that I had lost, but nothing came to mind. I kept coming back to the fact that the last thing I remember was looking up into that hillside and then waking up in my tent. I drove back to Lexington, nursing my migraine, got home, showered, and crawled into bed. After a couple of days, I decided to contact one of my cousins who had camped out with us to find out what had, if anything, happened on Saturday. I was especially interested because some of the campers had posted pictures of a doe deer coming down off the mountain that the tree was thrown at us and staying in the creek. It stayed with my cousins for a while. Now, while deer and elk are plentiful here, they are not tame in any way, and the sight of a human makes them bolt. I noticed in the photographs that the deer was looking right at them and came within 15 feet of some of the campers. To me, the deer looked like it was frightened, and my cousin said it was out of breath with its sides heaving in and out and stayed there until it calmed down for approximately 10 minutes. I looked back at the photos and noticed its wide-opened eyes. I surmised that the deer was frightened. From my research, deer and elk are primary food sources for Sasquatches. I believe that this deer narrowly escaped death from the hands of the huge cryptid and would rather spend some time with humans whom the Sasquatch did not appear to bother. My cousin said it was just so strange that a doe came into camp and spent time with them. I asked my cousin if anything else had happened, and her reply was quick. Oh, yeah. First, she said that about dark Saturday night, a loud roar that tailed off into a higher-pitched yelp, nothing anyone there had ever heard before, came down from the side of the mountain. She said that it was so loud you could feel it vibrate off your breastbone. It actually scared them very badly, and once again, the guns came out. Again... My research shows that this is common for a Sasquatch to vocalize in a loud roar, tailing off into a higher noise in order that it might intimidate a human or other animal. I'm totally convinced that having seen one in my early years and seeing high up snapped off trees and now hearing the tales of my cousins whom I believe wholeheartedly of the sights and sounds of the deer and the unknown beast makes me believe. Now here's where the tale turns paranormal. My cousin told me that after the roar from the mountain, it was not much longer before they all went to bed. All of my cousins turned in early due to tiredness and stress and hit their tents. My cousin that was telling me this said that for some reason she just woke up in the middle of the night. She hesitantly opened a large enough opening in her one-person tent to stick a portion of her head out to survey the camping area. Looking directly at the camp table, she saw a shadow figure staring down at the same table where we always eat. I asked her to describe to the best of her abilities what she saw. She said it was darker than dark, and darker than the fire embers behind it, and it was just staring at the table. She said it was tall, 
had on a rather large hat and a very long beard. I almost choked, because I don't think she knew about the grisly encounter at the fence further upstream. I don't think the girls in the family knew the story, but the boys surely did. She was describing an old mountain man from around the time of the encounter at the picket fence. I asked again if she was seeing it out of her periphery vision or head-on, and she, without hesitation, said head-on. Then she told me that he just faded out, and you could no longer see him, but you could see the glowing embers in the fire pit again from her point of view. The next year came up time for the wilderness reunion, and again my back was acting up and I couldn't go. But I was able to view pictures of their trip, and I decided to contact my cousin again. I asked her if she saw the shadow figure again. She replied, no, but I did see a ghost. I said, a ghost? Do you mean like a spooky old bedsheet with eyes cut out or what? She said no. She said it was a balding guy that had a slight glow about him and he was dressed like he was going to work or something. She said he walked right into the camp while she was looking out of her tent and just kept walking downstream until he disappeared. This stirred a memory in the back of my head. Where we were camping was just downstream from where one of our coal haulage roads crossed Linbar Creek. Coming down the mountain was a half-mile road set on a 10% grade. A truck driver lost his brakes at the top of the slope while empty, and he could not contain the truck from running away from him. When he got to the bottom of the grade, he tried to make the turn across Limbar Creek and rolled the truck over and over on the downstream side of the crossing. He was killed instantly in a horrific crash. After thinking about that then and now, the truck ended up lying in an area where a different cousin pitched his tent. I believe that this was the ghost of the truck driver wandering the earth, wondering what happened to his brakes. Many strange things happened in Lindbark, even until today. Am I going in September 12th, 2019? If I am up to it, yes. I am going to go and perhaps witness one of these things that my cousin told me about. Also, Bigfoot and I have some unfinished business to attend to. I want to know where I was for two and a half hours when I camped out there. Now that is a tale worth telling. Thank you, Randy, for sharing this story with us all those years ago. And as you can tell, it still makes me hold my blanket extra tight when I hear it. And thank you so much to you, our listeners, for tuning in each week as you always do. Now, a reminder that Josh and I will be taking the month of December off for regular episodes of Fearscape to spend some much-needed time with our families. We will still be posting content in December in the form of some fun bonus episodes and even a 2021 wrap-up episode to look back on our crazy year. Next week will be our final full episode of 2021, and we encourage you to mark your calendars for our return on January 6th 2022 for our next season premiere with a giant sized episode on the Rendlesham Forest Incident, a series of reported sightings of unexplained lights near Rendlesham Forest in Suffolk County, England in late December 1980, which became linked with claims of UFO landings. The events occurred just outside the Royal Air Force Woodbridge Base, which was used at the time by the United States Air Force. Some of these USAF personnel claimed to see things they described as a UFO sighting. 
The occurrence is the most famous of claimed UFO events to have happened in the United Kingdom and is among the best known reported UFO event worldwide. It has been compared to the Roswell UFO incident in the United States and it is even sometimes referred to as Britain's Roswell. You do not want to miss out on this one, folks. Again, thank you so much for tuning in to Fearscape Paranormal Podcast here on the Fearscape Media Network. Please visit fearscapepodcast.com for all things Fearscape Paranormal and visit fearscapemedia.com to check out all the fantastic podcasts and shows available on our network. So, until next week, this has been Stefan. Keep your eyes on the skies, because the truth is now. And remember, folks, hold those blankets extra tight, because things tend to get spooky when you're listening to Fearscape. Good night, everybody. We hope you have enjoyed this guidepost on the road of high strangeness with us. And we thank you, as always, for listening and joining our caravan to the weird and unknown. Please consider supporting us as we continue our journey to find the answers we all seek. Fearscapepodcast.com forward slash support. Huggers, Stefan here from Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Got some good news for you. If you want to join in on the investigation of the mystery of the recent emails from the man claiming to be Terry Rist to Josh and myself, aka the Spooky Crew, uh, and his advice on where to look for more high strangeness, uh, or if you simply want to become a patron blanket hugger for some cool swag and behind the scenes goodness, Go ahead and join our Patreon at fearscapepodcast.com slash support or patreon.com slash fearscapepod. There you can get risk watch access to the Terry emails themselves, the WhatsApp conversation about it all with Josh, Stefan, Santosh, and Olaf Phillips, and even any clues that are new that we have found in other Fearscape-related bonus content. You can even help out and add anything that you have found to help us dive deeper into the mystery. And remember, you can also just be a normal blanket hugger, as there are a few non-wristwatch tiers for patrons not interested in Terry Wrist and that journey. You'll still have access to bonus interviews, articles, and live Patreon-only Q&As, as well as early access and discounted tickets to events put on by Fearscapes, such as psychic events, tarot readings, etc. Or you can simply support however you feel comfortable with tiers as low as $1. So join today.